Hi, and welcome to Portable History. I'm your host, Porter, and I welcome you to another episode. This is the seventh episode in the first season, which is on American history. Today, we'll be covering John Paul Jones, the Battle in the South, and Benedict Arnold's treachery. So, if you remember, it's been about three years since the Revolutionary War started, and the Americans and British are suffering. There seems to be defeat at every corner, like a simple mistake could cause defeat, but victory seems so far. And this is true where both sides, the British Parliament, are being really mad. The Congress, Continental Congress is wearing out. And to add upon all this just long war, well, what with long war cause, long war causes inflation. And to combat their debt, the Americans produce more money, which then makes wartime inflation about eight times what it would be. So let's say you have a piece of bread that costs $8. It's going to cost $64 now. And it's it's not good. And Washington is kind of mad at the Continental Congress because he's been asking sup- to, for supplies and they keep not giving any him anything. And he's really low in supplies and morale. And so... To boost the morale of his troops and also to, like, say, hey, we're doing something, you should help us. Also, to actually do something while not costing any major struggle or equipment to himself, he decides on a very short campaign. And that campaign is an attack on the Iroquois. And so they've been helping the British, a lot of Native Americans and... Slaves have been helping the British because the British promised the slaves freedom and they, the Native Americans don't like the Americans, the uh, colonists as much just because of conflicts over land and a lot of other stuff and the British promised them land and all that. So George Washington decides to attack the Iroquois and it's a devastating attack. It's quick. It barely lasts any time. And it says 4,000 people fleeing to New York or Canada because they just, George Washington just destroys their villages. Well, not really George Washington, but like the Continental Army under George Washington just burns houses, sends them fleeing. And it it's a complete terror attack. It's just trying to induce fear so that other, so the British get less help from other tribes, and it's it's devastating. So the Continentals don't follow the retreating refugees kind of troops, and by September it's over. Uh. The battle's won, the campaign's completely over. So as George Washington is doing this terror campaign, uh, Sir Clinton, General Clinton, is also doing a terror campaign. He attacks New Haven, Fairfield, and Norwalk, which are in New Hampshire, that area. 
and he also claims two forts, so he's just raiding, and so Washington sends troops, and he decides to take one of the forts back. It's a really important fort, and he decides to take it back. So the troops that he sends, they decide to attack at midnight, and they take the garrison by surprise, and that's another win for Washington. So up in the north, it's nothing big. It's just back and forth. Oh, you take something, I take something. And like I said before last episode, it's the wars moved on to the south. And at this point, George Washington hasn't really accepted that. He still thinks it's mainly in the north. Um, but he does send generals down to the south. Well, all this is happening, the war in the south is getting bigger, well, the north's getting the front and the north's getting a little smaller, as well as the war across the sea is getting bigger, all the way in Europe, in France, and Britain, and the Spanish are joining in. And so, the previous January, the Americans send their new frigate, the Alliance, to bring Lafayette to France. And this is its maiden voyage and its first mission. So the Americans are sending Lafayette to France. And in case you don't know, Lafayette is a French soldier. George Washington loves him. And so, yeah. George Washington sends Lafayette to the French to ask for a attack on Canada from the French. The French reject this idea, but keep Lafayette and say, hey, we want you to stay for this invasion we're planning of Britain. So the French's plan, uh, the French and Spanish's plan, is to invade Britain and hold cities in Britain for ransom and the rest of the taking them as hostages to bargain hey we'll give you all your cities back if you back out of America and the invasion of Britain has never really been done so France and Britain have been enemies since practically since they're founded they're like back in history they've hated each other um, and in the future, you'll see that France tries to invade Britain a bunch, and other countries try to invade Britain, but Britain is across the English Channel, and it's really rough waters, and they have shore defenses and all this stuff, and everyone's attempted this invasion of Britain, particularly the French in many cases, and it's always failed because... There's wind, and it's just really bad waves, and a lot of times disease hits, and the British fleet has been one of the largest in the world for years, especially when it was this major power taking over colonies. And so, even though attacking Britain, an invasion of Britain, hasn't really been done before, except for like the Vikings, but that's a different story. The French and Spanish decide to do this, carry along with their invasion. And so, they get 
a American captain who's been raiding coastal villages of Britain since practically the beginning of the war, and his name is John Paul Jones. And he is personally one of my favorite revolutionary heroes because it he reminds you one, he's really cool. I love ships, I love boats, I love water. But he also reminds you of the war that's going on across the ocean and the effect it actually has on Europe, not just in the forming of America and all the way in the American continent. But it brings to your mind the front across the sea. So they get American Captain John Paul Jones and they for their invasion. And they decide to use him as a diversion. And so basically he and a smallish fleet uh are gonna raid British coasts to divert attention from the main landing force of the French and French and Spanish. So They've been sailing around for quite a while, and on September 23rd, they find this British fleet, this merchant fleet they've been looking for, and they've just been trying to wreak havoc, you know? He's practically a pirate, like, some of his tactics and, like, his raiding, and, yeah, he's a pirate, basically. Um, so... The, their ship, the Bohem Richard, which is a tribute to one of his good friends, Benjamin Franklin. They're, so basically, Benjamin Franklin had an alias, and it was Richard. Because he was writing notes for this newspaper that his brother owned, and he didn't want people really to know that he was writing them, these letters and these things for the newspaper. And that's where he gets its name from. And so he finds this British fleet. And he sets up the British flag, which is acceptable at the time. You're allowed to pretend to be a British ship, but the ship they're attacking is the Seraphis. It's a massive ship. The Seraphis says, wait a moment. I don't know who you are. And so they say, reveal your name and like, actually, like, what are you doing? Are you, I don't believe that you're British. And so basically they're like, hey, if you don't show us who you truly are, we're gonna we're gonna shoot you. And after the Bone Richard doesn't respond, the they attack and the battle commences. And this merchant fleet that I was talking about is only guarded by the two two ships, the Seraphis and a small schooner. And the Bone Richard gets demolished. It's a, a it's a smaller, slower ship. It used to be a trading ship. It's not the best quality, but John Paul Jones loves it. And it does get demolished. But during the fighting, they lash on to the Seraphis. So now that it's a two burning ships latched together. So then they can 
use their, so then they won't sink, and if they do sink, they're going to bring the other ship along with them, and also, they might acquire the Seraphis, because they both have about the same crew, but the Seraphis is just a generally better ship, and during the fighting, this is one of John Paul Jones' most famous moments, he, the British send, are you, they think that they've signaled a hey, we're surrendering, and so they send, like, they send a message, like, are you surrendering, and supposedly, John Paul Jones leaps, and he's suddenly visible in the fighting, and says, I have not yet begun to fight, and it's like, really cool, you can imagine two flaming ships, people trying to fight to gain control, and suddenly, he's there in the rigging, I have not yet begun to fight, we don't actually know if he said that, but, like, like the, when I told you guys, oh, don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes. It might have been, like, an exaggeration for the public and, like, to, like, theorize him more and make it more dramatic. But he probably did say something along those lines. So, this is sadly the only victory of this planned invasion. So, the invasion fleet of the Spanish and... The French isn't defeated by a British fleet. It's de defeated by disease. They're stuck on this ship swaying in the rough waters of the English Channel. And they're seasick. They're crammed into these small boats. Typhoid, typhus, all these diseases sweep through. And... You know, maybe if they'd succeeded, the war would have ended earlier, but it might have changed how the British viewed the Americans. It probably changed a lot, but the invasion fails. So, while this invasion force is going on, and this invasion is being planned, and it fails, well, the French in the Americas aren't having any better success. So, on October 4th, the French try to take the town of Savannah. And, if you remember from a couple episodes back, um, as the British were moving in to conquer the South as they found their new battleground, uh, it's a very important port, and the Allied American, French, Spanish forces want to take it back. And so, the French launches invasion after days of bombardment. And they have, like, they outnumber the British by a lot. But, due to some tactical mistakes, they don't take the town. And it's a humiliating defeat. And... Through this entire time, Washington is just ignoring the South, even though this crushing defeat to the French signals that the British are holding strongly onto these southern territories. They, Washington still thinks that the North is the battleground, that 
they have to get conquer the north and the south is just this diversion that the British are trying to draw their attention away from the main battle that's happening in the north. But Washington does send one of his best generals down to help in the south. And one of his commanders, one of the commander, this general's main commanders, he is marching through the southern countryside when he meets Bloody Ban Tarleton's cavalry. And Tarleton is this intense British figure. And his his, his cavalry regiment, fast striking, gets in, does raids, it hits fast, hits strong. And what this what what his band shows is a big outcome to what's happening in the south most of his troops are americans most of them are loyalists loyal to the british that are fighting um with the british forces and that really symbolizes the south like is mostly the upper northern states that were pro-revolution mostly, and the other states were more, had the majority of people were voting for more for the British, and that's especially true in the South. And so, what this commander, he meets him in this country field, and they engage on May 29th near Waxhaw's Creek, and the Virginian troops under this commander, they, they put up the white flag, they, they wait, I don't know if it's an entirely smart move, but they wait to fire until they're a couple yards away, which does make your shots more effective, but since Tarleton's troops are so fast, they're only, the American troops are only, only, able to get one volley out until the British and Loyalists are upon them. And so they put up the white flag for surrender, but Tarleton Bloody Ban, it's his name, is his nickname. He gets his name because he's brutal, he's ruthless, he just attacks with full force. Even after the white flag goes up, he keeps on killing, and one soldier who survived what will now become the Waxenhaw Massacre, he writes that the soldiers stabbed any body that showed sign of movement. So even if, like, during the winds, a dead body, like, kind of shifted, or with all the moving or the dust, they'd stab it again just to make sure it was dead. And... It's it's a massacre. It's it's really bad. And after this, it's mostly just the Americans, the British, trading defeats and victories in the South. And the South is this kind of like George Washington thought this not too decisive battleground is just victory defeats. Nothing really major is happening, though there are a lot of battles there. 
but in October, General Green takes charge of the Southern Army, and he's another general that Washington decides just to send down there. And he decides, General Green decides to get 900 Americans, and they want to attack a force of 1,100 British. And so he splits the American force into two columns, and they quietly march through the countryside. And eventually they ambush this British force and take them completely by surprise. And the British hoist the white flag, but the Americans take basically revenge for the Wackensaw massacre, and they don't accept the surrender, and they basically kill all the British troops. And this is, it's, it kind of shows how desperate the war is turning out to be for both sides, these massacres. It, each side is so desperate for victory and just for the war to end that the resulting to this, these war crimes and these intense measures. So that is the end of our talking about the South. And now we're going to quickly turn to the North for this final section. And so... If you remember, is a couple episodes back, you have Benedict Arnold, and he's been the hero of many campaigns. He took some forts at the beginning. He was a hero in the Battle of Saratoga. But he feels like he's not getting the credit he deserves because he's kind of proud, you know, and he wants to be recognized as this amazing hero and have all this glory and money and fame, and he has been honored, but he feels like the Americans aren't giving enough of it to him, and so he decides to turn coat, which means turn sides, change sides, and becomes a traitor, and he he was a good general, you know. George Washington liked him. He, as you can see in his achievements, the Battle of Saratoga and other battles that he's in, he's a good general. And but he, even though he's getting all this glory and stuff from the Americans, he still decides to turn traitor. And no one's expecting this because. Like I said, he's a good general. They think he's loyal to the revolution. And so he starts sneaking documents to the British, like secretly passing them artillery schemes, passing them troop movements, where Washington's going to be, like all this important information. And he's in passing this information, and eventually, during this time where he is turning coat, 
George Washington goes up to him and says, oh, do you want to be the commander of this giant army? And to George Washington's surprise, he rejects it. He's like, yeah, um, no, but, like, can I be in charge of West Point? And West Point is the college now, and it's a military college and all that, and it's where you go to learn military strategy. But back then, it used to be a really good fort. It what and it was like a training center. is a big military strategic point on the Hudson River. And so, he, eventually, George Washington does grant him his request of West Point of this fort. And he decides to, instead of just sneaking information, he tries to sell West Point to the British. And so, basically, he'd tell them West Point's weaknesses, and he'd, like, move troops out of West Point so that the British could take it really easily. And, and so, as he's making these plans with the British, he discovers that Washington is going to be at West Point for a important meeting, and so he quickly informs the British of it. He's like, guys, guys, we have to execute this really fast during the time that Washington's gonna be at West Point. And so, one time he has his informant Andre gets caught. His informant Andre gets caught after Benedict Arnold sends him into, so basically, Andre, he's been sneaking in to Benedict Arnold at West Point, and Benedict Arnold's been giving him information, and he sneaks away. But it's not always been Andre. Sometimes it's Andre's spies. He's like a British spy master. And so, he, Andre, personally goes and talks to Benedict Arnold to get this final information, this final prep time. And Washington's almost at West Point. And so, as he is walking through American territory, Benedict Arnold has given him a pass. Say, oh, this guy's on important business for me, so you should just let him pass. But as he's walking, he meets a group of militia, and they're just stationed on a road, and they're just checking people at random who go through this bridge to make sure that there are no spies. And so he runs into this group of militia who are kind of just stationed at on this road, and he shows them the past, but they're like, they're like, they're suspicious, they're like, are you, I don't, we don't entirely think that you're who, what you say you are, like, he must have been acting guilty, and so they search his clothing, and they take off his main coat, and it reveals a British army coat, and they're like, oh, wow, so this guy's British, and so they're like, why would he be in American territory with Benedict Arnold's past, which means that Benedict Arnold must have something to do with this. And so they search through him and they find some documents hidden 
in his boot, and it's information about West Point, which further probably solidified their idea that Benedict Arnold's B is has turned code, has become a traitor. And Washington doesn't find about find out about this until a little bit after Andre gets caught and Benedict Arnold flees. So Benedict Arnold he flees after he realizes he's gonna get in trouble and he's gonna get killed and probably imprisoned and since he's been a traitor or technically a spy, he's gonna get hanged. He's it's execution. And so George Washington, he doesn't know this. And so he goes to Benedict Arnold's house one day as just to talk to him about how West Point's going and all that. And eventually he does discover oh, he is turned traitor. And so he gets he's pretty mad about that, you know. He he wasn't expecting it. It's a big blow to the Americans because Benedict Arnold was a very good general. And Benedict Arnold then fights for the British. He becomes a pretty high-ranking officer in the, the British Army, and he does cause the Americans a decent bit of trouble in the years after he turns coat. So, yeah, that wraps up our episode. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.